Good morning, Rock Valley Bible Church. How are you all doing today? Good to see you. Um, it is sure a blessing. Yeah, it was back in July when I was able to be here uh, with you all, with my wife, Jessica, who is with us uh, today again. Uh, we have four children. Uh, our three younger ones are back at College Church uh, this morning with their various activities, uh, College Church being across the street from Wheaton College and Wheaton. Um, but our oldest son, Trevor, is with us. Trev, yes. Yes, I'll be talking about Trevor today, and um, so we're, we're really grateful uh, to be with you all today, um, and grateful for, as, as uh, Steve mentioned, your partnership with us over the many years uh, in uh, Nepal and India. Uh, it was so much fun to be with Steve. I've known Steve, you know Steve for a couple decades now with our partnership with uh, Word Partners, so it was fun to... Uh, to uh, be together for that whirlwind trip, and um, and now also uh, you may have seen an announcement that went out uh, that Steve sent out by email that Brandon Ramazina is now on our board of directors at at First Love, and um, really excited to have your church uh, represented in that way. We see ourselves as kind of an arm of the church to serve churches, local churches uh, around the country in helping you, facilitating you, uh, partnering and serving uh, needs around the world and uh, in gospel ministry. And uh, so this coming week is my one-year anniversary uh, in this role at First Love, and uh, it's been a great joy. It's been a whirlwind. I've traveled to, we're in about a dozen countries. I've traveled to uh, about five countries over the past uh, a uh, few months, and um, so it's it's been uh, a great encouragement. And so, um, so first love, uh, just for those of you who may not know, first love focuses on the most vulnerable. Our um, so so orphans, uh, uh, people rescued out of traffic trafficking. We're leaning into disability ministry. Uh, those who are at the bottom of society. And um, we are seeking to come with gospel love. So our mission statement is to connect believers together around the world, that includes you, um, in order to tangibly surround, so it includes missions trips, and financial gift, in a variety of different ways, tangibly surround the most vulnerable with holistic, Jesus-saturated love. So we want to love these people that have gone through uh, great hardship with God's love. And uh, so thank you again for praying and supporting this work. Now we're going to be in Psalm 77 uh, this morning. So if you want to turn there with me, Psalm 77, if you turn to the middle of your Bible to the book of Psalms and turn to uh, Psalm 77. Psalmist is, is, is processing his experience of pain. And I thought this would be a good psalm for us all for several reasons. Uh, one is, I wanted it to be a way to just kind of introduce um, the journey that God has given to Jessica and myself. Um, 
I, uh, you're, you're starting to get to know me. I was here last summer to preach, and I hope to be here again. Just a way to you to get to know our story. And um, second, uh, the ministry of first love is deeply entwined with suffering. So as we focus on the most vulnerable, these are people that have experienced abandonment, abandonment, horrific abuse. So, (laughs) for instance, uh, Jessica and I were in the Philippines in December, and we were visiting one of the First Love missionaries who's teaching at a a school that um, uh, welcomes uh, um, girls from a, a, a home that is a associated with first love, where rescued girls live. And so these teachers at this school have to be aware of the dynamics of suffering that these girls have gone through. And so as we came to the tour of the school, she was sharing with us what, um, how hard it was for some of the girls that there was a change in the schedule that day. Some had just kind of lost it. And so the teachers and staff had to kind of come alongside these girls to help them with the fact that there were guests that day. There's yet another reason I think this song is timely, and that is I know there's some suffering going on with folks in your congregation. Heard about hospice. A couple of your families, at least, are going through that great sadness. So let's pray as we come to God's Word. And why don't you just actually take a moment and ask God to speak to you through His Word, through Psalm 77, as you just quietly in your own heart before we begin. Father, we thank you that we can come to you no matter where we're at. Maybe some of us are coming uh, uh, this morning with light hearts, uh, full of joy. You've received good news this past week. Others of us come in a very different, with a different mood. Uh, But you welcome us. And so, Father, as you welcome us, help us to... Uh, Listen to you as you speak to us through your word. Guide our thinking, mold our hearts, uh, transform us even now. Uh, With the help of your spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So looking at Psalm 77, I'm actually going to do this a bit differently. I'm not going to read the whole psalm right off the bat. I'm going to read it so that throughout as as uh, as I preach... Just so you start to feel the emotional journey that the psalmist is, has experienced here. But I do want you to look ahead to see, look for the words Selah, S-E-L-A-H. You'll see it at the end of verse 3. You'll see it at the end of verse 9. You'll see it at the end of verse 15. Don't know exactly what this word means, perhaps a, a pause. And in this psalm, they actually provide a great structure. So that's going to be the structure of our passage, those, uh, those dividing into four 
sections here in this, this psalm. And we see emotion right off the bat in verse 1. And I've titled the first section, the first three verses, Crying Out to God. Crying Out to God. Verse 1. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God. And He will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. Now, let's just actually stop there. In the day of trouble, like most of the Psalms, we aren't actually given the specifics of uh, what the trouble was, but what he does emphasize is just how bitter the trouble was. Look back at this agony. Verse 1, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God. So the repetition of aloud, aloud. So think of a grown man crying out. It's, 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 it's meant to be chilling. The pain is so intense. And yet, actually look ahead to verse uh, 4, the end of verse 4. I'm so troubled I cannot speak. So he's crying out, but he can't even put his pain into words. The crushing weight of this pain is just the stabbing Agony, he just wants to cry out in pain. His world is crashing in on him. Look back at verse 2. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. Picture hands stretching out in agony at the crushing weight, the stabbing pain. End of verse 2, his soul refuses to be comforted. His soul can't find relief wherever it turns. Nothing seems to take away that searing pain. Take a moment and just think, is there a time in your life when you've experienced something like this? Imagine most of you have something, some season of life. Verse 3 is perhaps one of the most shocking verses in this psalm. Verse 3, notice it does not say, when I remember my trouble, I moan. What's it say? When I remember God, I moan. And then, as you know, in the Psalms, there's this parallelism, and this one, it reflects the, the first half in the second half. When I meditate, that is, when I meditate on God, when I think about God, my spirit faints. So, rather than the thought of God bringing comfort and peace, disillusionment, confusion, moans, groans. Isn't that what we love about the Bible, though? It's brutally honest about the reality of suffering 
If nothing is random because God is sovereign, if God could have, he could have orchestrated a different outcome, God could have dot, 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 but he didn't. What does that say about God? Picture in your minds the the World Trade Center when those planes crashed into them. It's like the psalmist has had this structured, simple view of what God is like. And now it is imploding. To think how a good and loving God would allow this pain is just crushing. And so his spirit faints under the weight of confusion and despair. Jessica and I have a daughter who is no longer with us. She would be 25 years old this year. Uh, When she was born, she only lived for 20 minutes. But what was especially painful about that was it was a difficult pregnancy, and so we had a lot of people praying for us during that pregnancy, and so there's this great hope and anticipation, God, you are going to hear our cry for mercy. And so I couldn't believe it when the doctor came in and said, there's nothing more for us to do. We can't. And I said, I literally said, go back and keep trying. Bossing the doctor around. All our hopes and dreams for our first child were suddenly ripped away. It was wrenching. Five years later, Trevor was born. Everything seemed normal, but as he knows the story, and you're actually wearing blue today, Trevor, and blue glasses and blue hearing aids, he was starting to, to, to turn blue after 24 hours, and we didn't know why. No one knew why. And uh, he was a medevac from where we were living. We were living in, I was pastoring in Alaska at the time. We were on an island, and, and uh, that's all a whole different story there, of the, the, that drama. Uh, and at the Children's Hospital in Seattle, after a few days, that's when they discovered, oh, in addition to this hole in his heart, extra hole in his heart, it's Down syndrome. I distinctly remember there, again, trying to instruct the doctor, there's got to be some mistake here. Uh, our last name is Smith. P- perhaps there's a confusion uh, of, of Smiths in this, uh, uh, this hospital. And then the ramifications of Down syndrome became, began to crash in on us like repeated tidal waves. Not typical, child. He's not going to get better with Down syndrome. We're not going to have a normal family life. Every step of his development is going to be hard. And I was, Jessica and I grew up in the Philippines. I'm a missionary kid, and so we're called third culture kids. We're not Filipino, we're not American, we're this third culture. And so kind of my whole, it just, I wanted to be a normal American family. I remember laying down the first night after finding out about the 
diagnosis and just crying out to God, very much like the psalmist here, pinned down a dagger of pain. So that's the first part of the psalm, crying out to God. The second part of the psalm, beginning of verse 4, I've titled, Questioning God. Questioning God. Verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. Notice <laughs> that you, this is, he's, he's, he's uh, attributing to God his inability to sleep. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Then in verse 5 and 6, we begin to see the psalmist, it seems like he's rolling up his sleeves and begins to put his, his thoughts into words. He begins thinking of old times, the good old times, and the songs that um, he used to sing. So it's verse 5. I, I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. But now the songs that had brought comfort in the past don't bring comfort. Because look at the disturbing questions that these songs raise. End of verse 6. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Look at what the psalmist is questioning. He's questioning the very basic character of God. Remember when Moses was up on Mount Sinai and uh, God declared to Moses who God is like. And God, God declared his name saying that he was gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And now look at the questions that this psalmist is raising. Steadfast love. Faithfulness with promises, gracious, really, slow to anger, really compassionate. God, are you really who you say you are? Are you really, do you really have steadfast love? Are you really a promise-keeping God? Do you really have grace and compassion? The very basic characteristics of God, I'm not so sure about anymore. So the World Trade Centers have imploded. The structured, simplistic view of God is now rubble. His whole worldview is mangled. Or like someone who has been thrown head over heels by a wave, he no longer knows where north, south, east, or west is or who God is anymore. I remember when that night that uh, after hearing of the diagnosis, God so I remember laying there thinking, okay, you ripped my daughter away, and now this. What next? I remember thinking, God, are you this cosmic killjoy? Are you cruel at your very nature? Find some kind of pleasure in watching people suffer? Question the very character of God. And this actually, let me pause here. This is actually a... Good for us to think about as we walk with other people through suffering. What if they start to ask these kinds of questions? 
Are you quick to, huh, hey, let me straighten out your theology here real quick. Or do you sit and let them ask? What if they ask that, those, these kind of questions for a few weeks, a few months, a few years? I know people who have. So one of the things we're working on at, at First Love is to expand our uh, training for, again, we're in a, over about a dozen countries around the world, expand in different parts of the world where we work, trauma-informed care provided by Christians. There's actually a lady here in, in Rockford who I've been interacting with our teams about having her. She's already been to our work in Pakistan. Um, we hope to send her in other places where uh, she comes alongside the staff and helps them think through how to, in a Christian worldview, come alongside those who have been through horrific trauma. And their whole worldview is messed up. How do we do that in a wise, compassionate way? Yeah, one feature of the psalm that I think is very important to notice is it is a prayer to God. Do you notice how it began back in verse 1? I cry aloud to God. He repeats aloud to God. It's to God he's taking his confusion. To God who he knows will hear. He wants God to be his refuge in this confusion. Even though you are a confusing God, I am going to take my disillusionment with you to you. And that's perhaps where we take people, even from the start, is to take, take your perplexity to him. Take your questions to him. And notice, though, the psalm isn't over. It doesn't end there. He's not merely satisfied with asking questions. That's not where the comfort is. The next section I've titled, Remembering God's Redemption. Remembering God's Redemption. He decides to recall what he knows about God. Verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this. To the ears of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. This is what he remembers. Verse 13. Your way, O God, is holy. Holy means God is separate from us. He's distinct from us. He's holy other than us. God is not flawed like we are. He's perfect in all his ways. That's what I know know about God. Second half of verse 13. What God is great like our God? So the Psalms are full of this understanding of God being creator, the maker of the heavens and earth. There's no God like this creator God. And these truths about God is starting to help the psalmist orient himself. I remember laying on that bed that first night after the diagnosis, and uh, I 
I remember the question the apostle Peter asked after Jesus had said to his disciples, essentially, are you going to stay with me in in the middle of uh, the Gospel of John? And Peter replied, where else have we to go? There's there's no other God as a creator God like you. No other, I don't know any other kind of holy God like you. Where else have we to go? And then this is a God who has displayed his care for his people. Look at verse 14. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. So he's recalling God's loving care for his people to rescue them out of Egypt. And so we enter into a conflict in the psalmist's mind. His own experiences telling him one thing about God, he no longer cares, he's no longer gracious. But then he remembers what the scriptures say about God's loving care for his people, that he is faithful and gracious to his people. What's going to (laughs) win? My painful disillusionment is telling me this or what the scriptures tell me. Notice, interestingly, this reference to Jacob and Joseph. It's actually not a, a common way for these two to be linked together in this way. But what do they have in common? Both made their descendants promise that they would take their bones, after they die, into the promised land. They utterly believed God would bring people from Egypt back to the promised land, even though they wouldn't see it with their own eyes. They had that kind of confidence in God, even though they couldn't see it themselves. And so now this rescue out of slavery in Egypt leads to the last section, a fascinating section here. Look at verse, beginning in verse 16, and I've titled this last section, Following God Through the Storm. So we've had crying out to God, questioning God, remembering God's redemption, and now following God through the storm. He dramatically and poetically depicts God rescuing his people through the crossing of the Red Sea. So remember the story. The Israelites uh, 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 have been in Egypt in slavery. God sends the ten plagues. Uh, The Pharaoh finally says, yes, you can go. They they leave. Pharaoh changes his mind, comes with his army, and now they're stuck between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army. And now the psalmist, though, he starts to depict that story with an added dimension of a great storm brewing up over the Red Sea. 
So addition to having the Egyptian army on one side, the Red Sea there blocking their way, now there is this terrifying storm brewing over the Red Sea. And now as I read verses 16 through 18, I want you to listen for the emotion in these words. Verse 16, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. You hear the emotions, right? Fear, trembling, thunder, lightning, crashing, whirlwind, trembling and shaking. Notice the psalmist understands it to be God bringing this about. Look at the end of verse 17. Your arrows flashed. Verse 18, your thunder, your lightnings. God is fully orchestrating this storm. Imagine. Imagine the utter terror of those that don't know the next part of the story. The Egyptian army coming, the Red Sea, and now this terrifying storm. Your view of God may be imploding at that point. But verse 19 brings perspective to the whole psalm. Look at verse 19. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. This very storm, this terrifying storm, brought about the parting of the sea and their rescue. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. God used the storm to part the sea to rescue his people. Let me say that again. God used the storm to part the sea to rescue his people. That's how God works. He uses the storm to rescue his people. (laughs) And so I think of the the storms that Jessica and I have experienced, and we think, wow, what God has done through that, sure, in our faith and our... um, But he's brought us, I probably wouldn't be here right now for those stories. I wouldn't have been drawn to ministry for vulnerable populations had it not entered our lives. And us also see the joy that's there. Trevor brings tons of joy. Yeah, sometimes not so much, but lots of joy. Look at the again at verse 19. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. They didn't see God, but by faith they knew he was way with them the whole way. But the climax comes, actually, at the very last verse. A tip for you as you read your Bibles, 
And I know you get a lot of great tips for reading your Bibles by listening faithfully to the preaching that comes behind this pulpit from week to week. One of them is keep a close eye at how a psalm begins and how it ends. I actually preached from this psalm the very Sunday after we returned back to Alaska after Trevor was born. But I don't think I really got the, 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 the climax of it until more recently have I come back to the psalm to look at it. Because the climax comes at the end. It seems a little anticlimactic for an end, but it is the climax. Look at the end uh, of the psalm. Verse 20. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Yes, God's unseen, but through the storm, through the Red Sea, God did provide someone to lead, someone to lead the flock to go with them, to walk with them through the storm, through the Red Sea, to safety. I love one of the songs we sang today. Jesus, the true and better Moses and Aaron. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about, right? See all these themes in the Old Testament? They point to Jesus. Jesus said in John 5, You search the Scriptures, but they bear witness about me, he said. Jesus is the better Moses, the true high priest, greater than Aaron. Jesus is the true shepherd. And so God provides Jesus, like Moses and Aaron, who, to lead God's flock through the storm, not around the storm, not waiting for the storm to pass, but through the storm. And Jesus led the way, didn't he? The worst storm of all, when he was nailed to the cross and darkness fell, his father turned his back away, unleashed his wrath on Jesus as punishment for our sin. And yet through that storm, Jesus was resurrected, rescued, ascended, Through that storm, Jesus redeemed us not from Egypt, but from our captivity to shame and pride and sin for all who trust Him and follow Him. And in our lives full of storms, all who follow Him through the storms are rescued. And so what the Bible is taking us to is that the cross is the best answer for the questions that a psalmist might raise. Like back in verses 7 through 9. Look back at verses 7 through 9. For instance, uh, verse 9. Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has He in anger shut up His compassion? The cross is the clearest answer we have now. He's not forgotten to be gracious. God's compassion... We know of God's compassion because Jesus took God's anger for us. We know of God's compassion. So if the the World Trade Center has imploded and your worldview is like this rubble, the best place to rebuild your, your worldview is on the cross. We've come to the end of the psalm. Do you see what has not been resolved for the psalmist? 
There's no indication that the troubles of this particular situation have been removed. That's not where the comfort comes from. It's not an escaping from, from pain. Notice the psalmist hasn't been told why he was put through the trouble. It's like Job. He's never told why. No, the psalmist's comfort is trusting in an invisible God who provides a shepherd to lead through the storm. Notice something else. If you back up and look at the psalm and watch, there's a transition in the middle of the psalm. The beginning of the first half of the psalm, he's referring to himself. I, cry aloud, I, I. And then that stops at verse 12 on. No more does he talk about himself. He's talking about God. His unseen footsteps, his provision of a shepherd. But finally, I think it's always helpful when you read the Old Testament, read the Psalms, what does the New Testament add? What layer of hope does the New Testament add? And there's an element in the psalm that we don't see, that we do see very clearly in the New Testament, and that is the element of joy. Hebrews, right? We refer to Hebrews. We follow the author and perfecter of faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Not cheerfulness on the cross, but for him there was a light at the end of the tunnel, a bright, joyful light. And so we too, have, we, have a, we have a light at the end of the tunnel so that we can say, with James, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith will produce perseverance to the end. So as we follow Jesus through the psalm, there's not always a... There's, for the believer who follows his trust and follows Jesus, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. So we can actually count it all joy. As we go through the Red Sea, through the wilderness, there is a promised land he's preparing for his people. That's what this psalm is about. The psalmist is saying, through the storm, I'm going to follow God's shepherd. Would you pray with me? And once again, just take a moment of quiet and just uh, talk to God about what you will take away from this message uh, for yourself. Father, thank you so much that you gave us your shepherd, Jesus, uh, to hold our hand through this life. Father, uh, I pray for uh, my new friends here that you may, might comfort them with yourself. Uh, thank you that you've also given us brothers and sisters. Lord, we 
we thank you that we can come to your throne of grace with confidence. It's there we can find mercy and find grace in our time of need. Thank you for a Jesus who experienced so much of the hardship of this life. Yes, not sin, but all sorts of different hardships in this life. And you, you can relate, Lord, to what many of us are experiencing in this life. And Lord, thank you for the joy. Thank you for the, the ways that you bring joy to us in your word, through yourself, through your people. May all our prayers be, be layered with a coat of thanksgiving for all you've given to us. Lord, I thank you for this church and its partnership with First Love. Father, we pray that we might uh, faithfully uh, steward what you've given to us to wisely come alongside those who have experienced some unimaginably stormy days. You might help us to come alongside them with the truth of Jesus and the loving hands and feet of Jesus as well. We pray all this trusting in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.